You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to CXMH. My name is Dr. Holly Oxhandler, and I am joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Robert Gore. Hey, Robert. Hey, Holly. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be here with you and with our guest today. I know. Me too. Me too. This has definitely been a long time coming, but I'm really, really thankful um, that we finally have Aurelia Davila Pratt joining us. And I'm just so excited to talk about her work. So uh, Aurelia is a pastor, writer, and sacred space maker who finds joy in helping people live into the fullness of their God-given divine image. She is the lead pastor as well as a founder of Peace of Christ Church in Round Rock, Texas, and co-creator and co-host of the Nuance Tea podcast, where she is redefining what it means to be a clergywoman of color. She lives in Texas uh, with her husband and young daughter, and she is the author of the recently released book, A Brown Girl's Epiphany, Reclaim Your Intuition and Step Into Your Power. Aurelia, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Hi, it's so good (laughs) to have you. Oh gosh, I'm just so, so, so excited to have you on the show. Such a gift. Yeah, I'm excited. Is there anything that um, we missed in your fancy bio there that you want to share? No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I think you covered it. (laughs) Awesome. I know we we hear several guests at times be like, yeah, it's always a thing listening to the bio. Like it, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, well, like many people I know, I, I had to get a friend to help me uh, write my bio. Because <laughs> it's hard uh-huh. to, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, it's the worst whenever people yeah. ask. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, no, totally hear you. Well, I'd love to um, just start by, you know, I know we really wanted to focus and create some space to hear you talk about your new book, A Brown Girl's Epiphany. Um, But I would love to hear you kind of talk about the backstory behind the book and, you know, what led you um, to writing this book? Yeah, I mean, there's several things now. You know, the book turned one one year old last month. And so I I feel like I'm finally able to kind of step outside of the whole experience and, and look back in a way with clarity. Uh, And what really kind of prompted the book were were my own personal stories and experiences with racial trauma growing up in Mm. a kind of modern day segregated South rural Mm -hmm. um, town in North Louisiana and kind of how those experiences shaped me. But obviously a memoir of someone no one knows is not (laughs) really a book that's going to be published. What really holds Mm. the book up, I think, is the kind of pastoral word to mm. readers. Um, the, I always say, if you, if you know about theology, I, I just say it's a book about Imago Dei. Um, but if that means nothing to somebody, no. then I just try to sh- share that, you know, it's a book about God, it's a book about us, and it's a book about God in us, and it's a book about permission mm. uh, to reclaim God in us via our intuition and find power through that. Um, but for me, a lot of the chapters are based on sermons that I've written. So the mm. book really is a canon of of my beliefs in a period of time. 
Um, and what holds all of that up for me is a passion for healthy theology, healthy uh, faith community, and healthy images of God. So that's my yeah. passion in, in life and in my work. And that is what I'm trying to share as an offering in this book is access to, to good health as we navigate our faith in inside and out around oh. us. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Well, and I'll I'll just piggyback on that briefly to say I wholeheartedly uh, feel like you you totally captured that within this book that healthy theology, the focus of Imago Day that is it you know just for whatever it's worth as we start this conversation, this book is beautiful, and I was telling you I know right before we started recording that like. I don't have the version in front of me that has all of the underlines and the highlights and the, you know, but I feel like it looked like the version that your dad um, <laughs> that I know that you oh shared on social media with like yes. all of his highlights and everything um, it, that looked very similar to mine. But it's just it's, it's beautiful. It's just a beautiful, helpful, holistic healing book. So well, thank you so much. Yeah, I love the word helpful. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think moving away from trying to be great uh, all, mm. all the time and just trying to be helpful. That's why I try to look at anything I write or, you know, put out there in the world is just as an offering and an offering mm. can be really, you know, helpful. And we don't, you know, we don't need to be great to do something. We can just be helpful. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I love that you mentioned kind of the the hesitancy of like a a memoir that of somebody that that most people haven't heard of you know and and uh, maybe some some hesitancy on that but I know in the intro you uh, you talk about the idea of uh, that that naming our story is a pathway to healing so can you talk about that some for folks who maybe are thinking about their own story and trying to process through that and why you know even if maybe they have a similar kind of well, you know, writing a story or writing, you know, my, telling my own story when no one's heard of me, I don't know if that mattered, you know, but obviously with that idea of our story being pathways to healing, right, it, we would say it does matter. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I, in the book, I, I do say, you know, that many of us have been taught to disregard our stories you know, and hmm. now I want to quote Holly's book because uh, you mentioned just <laughs> we, like in your book, you mentioned just the speed at which we go at life. Yeah. Just go, go, yeah. go, 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 go. And a lot of times we do do that because pausing is too hard. Pausing brings yeah. up pain. Pausing makes us confront our truths and the truth about our lives. Um, but pausing also makes space for us to reflect on the stories that have shaped us. And the thing is, is we want to reflect on our stories. We just don't make time for it. I've made spaces in our faith community where we have, a, it's it's kind of a play on Sunday school, but we call it soul hour. Um, Sunday school minus the triggers. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, but just to give space there whenever, whenever we do for sharing stories, people are so eager to share and it people are so eager to process and it's like why don't we do that why isn't that a part of our spiritual practices and our inner work to process our stories because i believe that when we don't make space to reflect on what what's happened to us you know what even as far back as our ancestors, if we have the ability to do that, mm. you know, the more disconnect we have with our stories, the more disconnect we have with our 
with our intuition. And again, that intuition, to me, in my opinion, is really no different than the divine in us when we're well, really listening and when we're really cultivating, you know, the good health and the and the listening posture. Um, so I think our stories and the disconnect with them prevents us from stepping into our fullness. But then on the other hand, when we when we name our stories, it can really empower us in our mm. in our present situations. Well, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And and I I do feel like that posture of empowerment is woven throughout this book. I mean, even so far as with the overall structure of the book, like you are literally empowering the listener or the sorry, the reader um, or our listeners who will pick up the book and read it um, (laughs) to um, to literally step out of these harmful paradigms that we've experienced or navigating or or just try to, you know, have had to carry for whatever reason um, and into our power in all of these different areas. So this this degree, this posture of empowerment really is embedded throughout this book. And it's it and, and just for knowing you um, and for what I do know, like of you and the conversations that we've had, I mean, like that is who you are um, with having that posture of empowerment with you know, the work that you do, you know, at your church and the things that you promote, and then even the Nevertheless She Preached conference that you helped start, correct? Oh, I would say I was a supporting presence to to my friends who okay. did start it. Okay, <laughs> and I've, okay. I've been there every year helping. Yes, you have. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, just that posture of empowerment, I feel like is just embedded in who you are and throughout this book. So that said, I mean, like, I appreciate how you've kind of walked us through, you know, the importance of naming our story. Um, can you talk through the book structure overall and this process of stepping out of these different paradigms and stepping into our power through these different areas? Yeah, um, there are two halves oh, to the book, and there's some poetry woven in as well. Uh, but the oh. first half explores what examples of, of of things that we can step out of as we uh, seek to to embody Imago Dei, embody God in us, embody our fullness. So things, paradigms that we can step out of. And, and then the second half explores paradigms that we can step into. Now, first of all, faith work and, and any work really mm-hmm. involving our emotional or inner landscape is not linear. So it's right. not like right. it's not like here's a blueprint. It's you step out and then you step in. It's not linear yes, at all. It's, it it's, it's there's seasons and cycles and and rhythms of you know revisiting these things and and there's you know we're simultaneously stepping out of things and stepping into things and also. I'm just giving some examples from my own life, hopefully to spur something on in someone else. I'm not saying right, these are the these are the things. I'm just saying right, here, right. here are some examples from my life, but hopefully the you know the reader or the listener, because it is on audio as well, yeah, um, you know, could think of their own examples as well of of paradigms they need to step out of, maybe deconstruct, but then also reimagining. A better place to land. Mm. That's so good. I do. I I really appreciate how you just emphasize the fact that this is not a linear journey. And you're right. Like it's not. Um, 
you know, step out of one thing and into another, and then it's clean and done and, you know, then and that, but there's, there's a lot of messiness and layers of complexity and systemic issues um, and racism that, that you do allude to, or you not allude to, but you write very explicitly about, um, including your own experiences with several of these um, layers of systemic injustice. And, and yet, like you still have, I mean, you, you, you have this, this deep compassion through the book in terms of thinking about these uh, paradigms that we need to step out of and step into, even in the messiness of it all as well. So we'll obviously, we'll uh, point to the book and we'll invite our listeners to go check it out because obviously we don't have time to, to dive into all of it, nor would we want to. But are there maybe one or two of those paradigms, the things to step out of, and then maybe one or two to step into the, that you feel strongly about and that you would want to share? Yeah, I think the, in the first chapter talks about stepping out of autopilot. And I think that is something that would be a universal part of the process. Um, And also just to back up a little to say, I've been a pastor of my community for 11 years and I've seen a lot of people step out of paradigms, right? I've seen a lot Mm -hmm. of people deconstruct, burn down, (laughs) and I see a lot less rebuilding and reimagining. So that's why this book is so important to me is so that people know, like, it's not just about letting go. It's like there is beauty on the other side of of deconstructing everything we, that we ever thought we knew or whatever. Um, but stepping out of autopilot is about waking up to the process. It's saying, okay, let me question everything, my beliefs, my assumptions, just like, let me intentionally put a microscope on how I operate and why I operate the way I do. And let me take control of the wheel because I've been on autopilot in a lot of ways. Burn. So I, that's the first um, chapter. And I, I do think that hopefully that's a helpful chapter to get started in the process. I also talk about yeah. stepping out of hierarchy. And that's where I talk a lot about the buzzwords, you know, white supremacy, feminism, patriarchy. And I really, I really want us to move deeper than just the typical conversations we see play out on social media. (laughs) And so when I talk about, you know, racial trauma, for example, I'm talking about microaggressions on purpose. And I've had people not understand this because It'll be re- it would be really easy to read my stories and be like, that wasn't that bad, you know? Uh, and that's yeah. not the point. The point uh, is that we most of us agree that, you know, blatant racism is wrong. <laughs> um, and then everyone carries on. And what I'm really asking for people to do is to really look at the way we all contribute to the microaggressions that are like death by a thousand cuts yeah you know that add up and that really shape a lot of people um marginalized people and their lives and so i i very intentionally in that part of the book talk about particularly racial traumas i experienced as a young kid that are that are crappy (laughs) but also that aren't that aren't like that bad you know what i mean and and that's very intentional um, so I do talk a lot about some of these things, some of these social conversations we're having in that yeah. half of the book. 
Yeah. Yeah, I remember a couple years ago, I had Austin Channing Brown on the show when one of her books was coming out, and she talked about the idea of of bigotry being kind of explicit out loud, you know, like, I dislike these people for, like, that you would acknowledge, and then racism being more systemic, kind of the way things function, right? And I remember that being such a a uh, helpful, even if that's just kind of semantics, but like the the idea of like, oh, that makes sense to how we can maybe have those conversations and acknowledge uh, things that that are racist writ large without, because I think usually that ends up with, you know, the person on the other side going, well, that's not fair. I don't explicitly hate these people and you're calling me racist, right? But like the idea that you cannot explicitly be on purpose going, hey, this, I don't like these people out loud, but participating in larger systems and structures that that are racist and have those different implications, right? Like, I think that that was always helpful for me, and I, I come back to that often. Yeah, I think that we take these conversations too personally. I don't even think anyone's asking anyone to absorb <laughs> anything. Um, when we have these conversations, I mean, I, I pastor a predominantly white congregation, so I feel that I <laughs> have a good grasp on how these kinds of conversations impact people, even those willing to have them more readily than than maybe some. Yeah. Um, and I think something people really struggle with is absorbing uh, instead of learning, you know, yeah. and mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I, you know, I really weave the message of Imago Dei throughout this book because when you're really practicing Imago Dei, when you're embodying the belief that you're made in the image of God and God's Spirit lives within you, first of all, you you can't ignore the Imago Dei and the other. Mm-hmm. So you have to have these conversations. You have to confront, you know, the ways we're all complicit in in the ways the world isn't living into heaven on earth. But also, if you're really practicing it, then you're not absorbing shame. You're not absorbing um, guilt. It's it's not like that, you know? And I think sometimes people think they're being asked to take responsibility in that way. When, in, when what I'm saying is responsibility is just simply that we are all a part, you know, of this collective work. It doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean you have to absorb it and you have to like feel guilty because that actually isn't helpful to any of us <laughs> if you're doing yeah. all that, you know, it's not productive anyway. But yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, I mean, I just, I, I think the ways that you, you navigate this conversation in terms of your own lived experiences and the ways that you empower us and encourage us as you were just talking about returning to Imago Day within ourselves and recognizing that within our neighbors. It's just, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful in this book. And I, I appreciate that you, you know, you started talking about autopilot as being one of those harmful paradigms that we need to step out of just to, you know, give a sense like for our listeners to hear some of the other paradigms that you mentioned in here. And you, you did mention hierarchy as being one, but um, shame and politeness, which, you know, being in the South, a lot of what you wrote about politeness sounds <laughs> very familiar, um, especially for someone who <laughs> grew up in New York and it looked very um, different up there. Uh-huh. But and then you you write about productivity culture and scarcity and um, and you just ex- 
explain these different paradigms with such a tenderness and with such helpful language that helps us really see and hear through your stories, you know, layers of these experiences for you, but then really invites us to think through and reflect on these harmful paradigms within our own lives as well. So again, just, it's just so beautiful how you outline these, uh, these different paradigms and invite us to reflect on them critically. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, in this, in the second part of the book, you, you then invite the reader again, not in a linear fashion, as you mentioned, but you do empower the reader to step into um, our power with these different paradigms here. And so I don't know if there's one in particular that you or one or two that you want to highlight and elevate a bit for our listeners to contemplate. Yeah, really quickly. uh, There's several, but I I would say step into permission is a big deal because that chapter is all about learning to trust yourself and also feeling empowered to trust spirit in you. And then I also talk about stepping into your child self and just child self work. Mm-hmm. And because I, I say, you know, it's it's really easy for us to be hard on ourselves. But would we ever be intentionally just so hard and critical and mean to a child? Hopefully not. And so yeah. when we look at our child selves, we can kind of get some compassion that we need for our journey of healing. Um, and so I really love, you know, that work of our child self. In fact, I wrote this whole book with my child self mm. as the person I was writing to. Oh, um, that. So that was kind of my grounding, like kind of pole star of like staying centered and, and not mm-hmm. swaying mm-hmm. to who I was writing to. Um, and I also talk about the divine feminine, which is so important as a, to me as a pastor, because that is such a hard thing for people to truly practice in their mm-hmm. congregations. Um, but I see a lot of harm and not, you know, and not visiting that uh, our paradigms around the imagery of God. Mm-hmm. People are so funny because they don't. This is like a total tangent, but they don't like they don't want to widen their understanding of the binary of gender. But then mm. they would rather use non-binary language about God than <laughs> cross over and call mm. God she. You know what I mean? It's just really funny. Yeah. Or interesting. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. People are more. Anyways, people are funny. Um, but yeah, I really love that chapter. And I'm so happy there are so many entire books on Divine Feminine people could, you know, explore. Um, But also um, mystery. I think it's really important, again, speaking of binaries, that we step out of them, I think, in in, in terms of our faith, especially just uh, cultivating a non-dual posture in our faith will really help us in being more compassionate people in the world because we don't need certainty we're not threatened when we don't understand something um and i yeah so i think an, an embrace of mystery is really crucial oh yeah. that's so good yeah i i love um i mean i remember reading through that section of the book and there were several moments i do think especially under the divine feminine chapter like there were definitely some tears and again i don't have the 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 book that looks like your dad's highlighted version right now in front of me to go back and figure out what Pete's is. But just so many of these these um, step into chapters, I feel like 
were, I mean, truly healing in a lot of ways, just in hearing your story with each of these pieces. And I hear you that, you know, you wrote this book, you know, with keeping your child self in mind and at the, you know, is the the grounding piece. But I just really hope you hear too how healing it was that you did this work just for others to be able to read it as well. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know we are getting, um, we're getting a little close to time. And I, as you know, we were talking before uh, that you love, you know, spoken word and being able to, to read and speak aloud. And this book, I mean, I can't keep saying how beautiful it is, but I would love for our listeners to get to hear you read a little bit from the book if you'd like. I don't know if there's a, a part of the book that you'd like to share with our listeners or um, read from? Yeah, um, I'm happy to read from the the very last page. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm trying to decide how long of a excerpt you want. Do you, have, <laughs> do you want 10 minutes? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Let me start here. Uh, generation to generation, we are inching our way toward healing. As we inch along, we begin to understand the urgency of naming our stories. We begin to see how our own inner work stands alongside the support of our ancestors and sacred communities. It is like our own holy trinity working miracles in our lives. What was dead can be alive. What was buried can be resurrected. It is from this place of hard-won hope where we reclaim our intuition and step into the birthright of our God-given power. To do so is our ultimate act of resistance. This refusal to receive any narrative other than the one we write for ourselves is what it means to be fully alive. The timeline we are living in is wild and chaotic, making it difficult to look ahead with confidence. When an unknown future overwhelms my present reality, looking back offers the grounding perspective I need. Once again, I am reminded of who I am. I am reminded of what I know to be true about me, about us. We are children of God. The stuff of spirit swirls around within us. We are culminations of our ancestors' stories. We are story bearers. Our existence is holy, and our healing is their healing too. For those who came before us, for all who will come after, and yes, even for ourselves, may it be so. I love that. Thank you for sharing and, and reading a little bit. I know one thing that we we typically ask, and I know the book has been out, you said, for a little over a year, right? So maybe as you've seen it impact people and as, as you've seen the, the way that it is uh, expanding and, and influencing folks and help being helpful, as you mentioned, right? I'm curious what your hope is for the book and just the, the work that you're doing with the podcast and online and all of that. But uh, what's your hope for, for the work that you're doing? Yeah. Well, I hope to continue in the work of sacred space making, creating spaces or, where, you know, healthy theology and healthy paradigms around God can can flourish. I really do believe that it's urgent and um, really crucial, crucial work because people need healthy spaces of faith for healing, but they also need it for future hope. Um, and I also believe 
that while those spaces are growing, they don't always feel plentiful, um. particularly where we live uh, in the South. And um, so my hope is to continue in that work. And, and for this little book, I, I hope I can continue to use it as a tool in that space making. I wrote a discussion guide uh, that's on the publisher's website and on my website where uh, you can actually work through the book in groups in creative ways. And I think I would love to lead retreats using that mm. guide in the book um, if, if that opportunity ever came up. But yeah, I just think it's a great, it's a great starting point. You know, not everyone needs it, but, but many people do as well. So Ugh. gosh, that's so good. Well, thank you again for joining us today. I just, I'm so, so glad that we finally had you um, come on and just have a chance to hear your heart behind this beautiful book and all the good work that you are doing. Thank you so much. And I just want to say real quick about the book, if anyone listening is interested in purchasing it. I know that Amazon is like not the best organization, <laughs> not the best company um, for authors. Unfortunately, it's like you mm -hmm. know, they kind of control mm -hmm. the publishing industry. Um, and for whatever reason, my book has been on sale for $2 for like months. Oh, that's right. So yeah, if, if it's still $2, wow. if anyone wants to buy a copy, <laughs> it's a really good price right now. Um, so I'm not, I'm not mad at it. I, cause then I just, every time I go on there and check and see that it's $2, I just buy 10 Oh my more gosh, copies. that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I go put them and donate them at half price books all yeah. around. So, or libraries or wherever. Yeah. So, Ugh. you know, I'm like, okay, make it easy on me to just give yeah, them away. Yeah, no, that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, hopefully our listeners will help contribute to that, though, by them going out and, and picking it up at this point. I do, do really, yeah, really three want to encourage our listeners. $2. Um, yeah, to go pick it up. <laughs> um, but I, if, uh, listeners, if you would like to connect with uh, uh, Reverend Aurelia Davila uh, Pratt, you can go find her at her website at RevAureliaJoy.com. You can find her on Instagram and Twitter at RevAureliaJoy. Uh, we'll have all those links uh, and more in our show notes. If you want to go pick up her book, you can go um, pick up A Brown Girl's Epiphany reclaim your intuition and step into your power wherever you buy your books although you know we just learned it's you know like two bucks on amazon so that <laughs> is one option if that is where you would like to purchase your books from um, <laughs> if you would like to connect with the show you can find us at cxmhpodcast.com or on any social media at cxmhpodcast if you want to connect with robert you can find him at robert-vore.com or on any social media at Robert Bohr. If you want to connect with me, you can find me at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at hollyoxhandler. Aurelia, thank you so, so much for joining us today and sharing your your beautiful book with us and all of your wisdom. Um, do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners today? No, uh, just thank you so much for having me. And it was great to get to chat with you both. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH podcast at gmail.com.